Okay, before the break, uh, we reviewed the message associated with First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 37 through, uh, I mean 20, 27 through 31. And I indicated that the message is simply to be aware of the uh, spiritual assignments God made to individuals in the church, but your focus in your spiritual life should not be on gifts associated with them. Instead, be focused in living the spiritual life. So we indicated that there are Four propositions that we're going to use to expand on that message. The first one is that spiritual assignments are made to those in the church of Christ. That you are a member. The second is that the spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. Now, so the first assignment described as apostles. So, we stated several facts about them. But the fact that we ended with last week was that although they have their own special assignment, but the all other assignments, they share in them. Which meant, as we argued, that they had all the spiritual gifts Mentioned in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All, those 12, uh, all the gifts mentioned there that all the apostles had that gift. Uh, those gifts in order to function as the most important official, so to say, ones with office in the church of Christ. And so we went through, demonstrated the various uh, demo, uh, examples of how they demonstrated the gift of miracles, healings, tongues. We showed that they had the, spirit, the gift of discernment. And we also emphasized the fact that they, were the, they had the gift of, of administration and leadership. And we did everything to differentiate between leadership and administration. So we emphasize that uh, when you're dealing with leadership, you're dealing about giving guidance and direction to people. Whereas when you're dealing with administration, you're dealing with the process of managing things. So we also indicated that for leadership to be effective, there must be that ability to exercise consequence. And so we indicated that uh, if, for example, in a company, uh, a supervisor does not have the power or the authority to fire someone under him or her, that that leadership will be very weak because leadership has to be able to inflict consequence when the instructions are not followed. And so we use the apostles as examples 
where they uh, inflicted judgment, first by Apostle Peter and then by Apostle Paul. So either way, the issue is that these apostles, their assignment was the top in the church because of what they had to do. The second assignment that we mentioned is prophets. Implying that they also, of course, have the gift of prophecy. They have the gift of prophecy. So we began to consider the various ways in the Old Testament the prophets function in order to help us understand uh, what, where we are. We indicate, we show that, yes, they are intermediaries between man and God and between God and man. And in, in, in functioning between man and God, that they will be the ones that will take a case to God. A man will come to them and say, please find out from God if this and this is going to take place. And so that's what we were looking at before we went on break. In case of uh, Saul, the father has lost his animals and they have been looking for it for some days. And when he was about to say, let's go, his, his servant said, okay, let's go to the prophet. He can tell us. And that is where we stopped in 4 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, and that's where we resume the second session. It reads, When they reached the district of Zulf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God, that's a prophet. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. In other words, a true prophet. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. In other words, we consult the prophet. Now, King Jehoshaphat consulted prophet Elisha when he faced a military situation to see what would be the outcome. According to Second Kings chapter 3, verse 11. Second Kings, chapter 3, verse 11. Second Kings, chapter 3, verse 11 reads, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water in the hands of Elijah. So they went and consulted him. So if you read the rest of the chapter, you will note that prophet Elisha indeed gave the king the assurance of military defeat of his enemies. Now, so that's part of what they did in terms of Old Testament prophets. Now, of course, we do not have any record in the New Testament of believers consulting prophets of the early church 
So we cannot make any firm assertion of this activity concerning the early church. However, the fact that prophet Agabus made personal prediction about Apostle Paul will imply that the prophets of the church could not have entirely ignored predictions of personal nature. Or we can ignore that that it's possible that believers could have gone to them with personal inquiry about the future as was in the Old Testament time. In fact, I have to confess to you that after I made this deduction, I continued to do research on the subject related to the issue of prophecy and I came across a material that gives credence to my deduction. So, of course, I came back to my notes to add it. Now, the material comes from one of the writings of the apostolic fathers known as the shepherd of Hemas. The shepherd of Hemas. In fact, some people think that the last ending part of Luke was from him. I mean, Mark chapter 16, the last from verse 10 down that he was the source of it. We don't know, but that's what's fair by some. Anyway, but this document, known as the Shepherd of Hamas, written somewhere between A.D. 95 and A.D. 115. Somewhere, probably, uh, some of the, those who made contact with the apostles like, were still alive. Now, in this, in the section called the Mandate or Commandment 11, that was concerned with prophets, we read, and I'm quoting from Pastor, uh, he, uh, Pastor of Hermans, Book 2, Command, uh, Commandment 11, and I'm using the uh, PC version, verse five, uh, version 5, and I quote, here is what is, it reads, As many then, as are strong in the faith of the Lord, and are clothed with truth, have no connection with such spirits. They keep away from them. But as many as are of doubtful minds, and frequently repent, betake themselves to soothsaying, even as the heathen, and bring greater sin upon themselves by their idolatry. For he who inquires of a false prophet in regard to any action is an idolater and devoid of the truth and foolish. For no spirit given by God requires to be asked. But such a spirit have the power of divinity that speaks of all things of itself. For it proceeds from above, from the power of the divine spirit. But the spirit which is asked and speaks according to the desires of men is earthly, light, and powerless. And it is altogether silent 
if it is not questioned. End of the quote from uh, this commandment 11. Now the fact that this document speaks of consultation with false prophets implies that such practice of consulting with true prophets was probably the case or was probably practiced. It's not something that we can say with certainty, but because of this document, we suspect that yes, it is possible that there were people in the early part of the early church that would consult prophets in keeping with the way it happened in the Old Testament time. Be that as it may, the spiritual assignment of prophets in the church of Christ is considered second to the apostles in its importance because they functioned as intermediaries between God and believer. Although not in the same way as the apostles. Nonetheless, the prophets of the church would receive information from God to pass on to the church. Now this is illustrated in the church in Antioch where God's will was revealed to believers. Although we do not have any specific uh, prophet mentioned in connection with this revelation of God's will, but it is clear that prophet or prophets spoke about the commission of Paul and Barnabas by the Holy Spirit according to Acts chapter 13 verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 13. Because we're going to come back uh, before we finish this to that passage again. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It is in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now prophets would also receive message from God that would serve to encourage believers. Now this we know, or we can deduce from what is stated about Judas and Silas in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. reads Judas and Silas who themselves were prophets said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. So here they are prophets. And look at what they are doing, encouraging. Now another role of the New Testament prophets that was beneficial during the church meetings is revealing the 
thought of an unbeliever that has come to the assembly of believers, as implied in what the Holy Spirit uh, wrote through Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 and 25. First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 through 25. Now here it is a question of revealing something unknown. A prophet will say, can you imagine? A prophet comes in and in during the worship and he will get up and say, without mentioning maybe the name of the person, say somebody here did this X and Y, whatever it is. And whoever is the target, we know. And we recognize something is uh, serious around these people who are worshipping here. So this is what we have in verse 24. Is, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now this particular activity of prophecy has value in the presentation of the gospel. For you see, if an unbeliever's secret thoughts are revealed, then that will cause that person to accept the message of the gospel that the individual hears. Because if somebody can say exactly what you did last night, Without being there, and that will catch you. He will pay attention, even though he, he may not mention your name. But that will catch your attention. So you know exactly, uh, this, is, <laughs> this cannot be from a human being. Because he wasn't there. And he caught my... So that is the thing. So whatever the person now says, you pay attention. So that's part of what this club suffer. for. Anyway, because of the functions then of the, of the prophets... Their spiritual assignment was ranked second in the listing in order of importance to the church of God's spiritual assignments to believers. There is really a question that we need to address before we leave uh, the spiritual assignment described as prophets. The question is whether the individuals described as prophets had a permanent role as prophets or the gift of prophecy was given from time to time. Because some argue it was given from time to time. Now, so it seems that because those called apostles had permanent assignment that the prophets, the apostles described here, are also permanent assignments. Now they are like the Old Testament uh, they are like the prophets of the Old Testament and not like King David who occasionally manifested the gift of prophecy but did not hold or occupy the office of a prophet. David had the gift periodically. The Holy Spirit will uh, speak through him. But he wasn't called a prophet per se. Yeah, he didn't have that office. Now, prophets Agabus 
that was mentioned twice in the book of Acts implied that he had a permanent position, position as a prophet. Likewise, the prophets mentioned in the church in Antioch must have been had permanent position for them to have been described as prophets. Now Judas and Silas must have had permanent position as prophets for them to have been described the same way uh, uh, as prophets, as we noted in Acts 11, uh, the 15th chapter of Acts. Anyway, so out of this observation is that the next spiritual assignment mentioned that we'll get to shortly is not a temporary office, so to speak. So we are saying, some are saying the gifts, this assignment of prophets is temporary. Or it's not something that somebody has permanently. That God may just walk on the person and the person will uh, exercise the gift of prophecy and that stops. And I'm saying no, it's a permanent thing. Because the apostles, a uh, permanent assignment was given to them when they, when they lived on this planet. Now the next one we're going to get to is also a permanent assignment. So I don't see why the second one, the second one would be a temporary assignment. Anyway, so we believe then that the spiritual assignment described as prophets was permanent and they functioned within a given local church as those mentioned in the church at Antioch. Now the third spiritual assignment God made to some individuals in the church is described as teachers. Since we read in the passage we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28. Well, it says third teachers. Now this third spiritual assignment implies that those involved have the gift of teaching. They have to have the gift of teaching. That's what it will imply. Now the word teacher is translated from a, a Greek word didaskalos. Now of course uh, most days I don't sometimes I spell, sometimes I don't. Because now that I have my note posted on, on the website, you just go there and when you read the note, you see the Greek word I'm talking about. So it's easier uh, that we do that so you can go there and Pick up whatever that you're missing. Go online. The notes are there. Anyway, so the Greek word refers to one who provides instruction. Now it was because a teacher provides instruction that the Jews of the time of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ often describe him with the word teacher. As for example in Matthew chapter 22 verse 16. And hold on to Matthew. Matthew chapter 22 verse 16. It is Matthew chapter 22 verse 16 reads. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity 
and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You know what they were doing? They were flattering him. So sometimes you have to, you know, many of us, uh, I don't know when people are flattering us because we, we starve for praise or whatever it is. But that, of course, didn't change. He's the son of God. He's God. So he knew what they were doing. He didn't change what he was going to tell them anyway. He said, you, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. So after that, they went in, as we say, for the cable. But it didn't matter because he's God. He knew that they were all flattering him because they were setting him up for something. Anyway, the Lord Jesus also described himself as a teacher. So we can see from the same Matthew, look at chapter 26, verse 18. Matthew chapter 26, verse 18. Matthew chapter 26, verse 18 reads, He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, that's him, the Lord describing himself. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate a Passover with my disciples at your house. So he described himself as a teacher. Now, Apostle Paul described himself as a teacher. As we read, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter two, verse seven. Timothy chapter two, verse seven reads, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth; I am not lying. And, look at the next a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. So he clearly states that he was appointed a teacher. So Apostle Paul rightfully described himself then as a teacher. Since he taught the Gentile churches the word of God. For example, he spent a year and a half teaching believers in Corinth as Luke recorded for us in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 11. Acts chapter 11, I mean chapter 18, verse 11. Acts chapter 18, verse 11. And hold on, of course, to Acts, because the next uh, few more passages will be in Acts. It reads, So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now certainly, there were others who were also teachers in the early church. Specifically, Gentile churches. Or the, the one we know of is the church in Antioch, Antioch. As we may gather 
from the record of the passage that I cited previously and told you we're coming back to. And that is Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Don't need to write it down again if you don't. You just listen to verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It is in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manen, who had been brought up with Herod, Cesarec, and Saul. Now there's really no way of knowing whether all five men mentioned here, or listed here, were all teachers. Or if the first three were prophets, and the last two teachers, as some contain. In other words, there are some who say, well, the first three are teachers, and the last two are prophets. That's what some commentators say. Well, to me, such interpretation according speculative. Since Paul, uh, Saul is Apostle Paul, and we know that uh, he had the gift of prophecy as well, as being a teacher. So we can say, we can just actually say the last two are prophets and or teachers. So anyway, the fact is that we don't know what who among all these five, whether they were all prophets and all teachers at the same time or not, we don't know. Nonetheless, we are certain that two of them were teachers. That much we know. And possibly also prophets. Two of them. We know that with, with certainty. Now Barnabas and Saul were clearly teachers. That we know. As we may gather from their function in the same church as recorded in Acts chapter 11 verse 26. Acts chapter 11 verse 26. He reads, And when he found him, him here will be Saul or Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great Members, uh, great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And I will explain to you why that is the case. Now, the presence of teachers in the church of Antioch then speaks to the importance of teachers to the church of Christ because they are those responsible for teaching believers God's word. So anyhow, our point is simply that there were teachers in the early church other than the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. In any case, then the third spiritual assignment concerns teachers. As we, we stated, teachers are important in the church of Christ for spiritual growth of believers. Now, this is one of those things I've, I mean, I kind of, when I think about it, you can see the hand of the devil all over the place. See, 
I know, you know, people are doing all kinds of things today. Self-medicating and all that. I understand that. Because they get information from internet and all that. But when you think about it, if you're really sick, you go to physicians. You don't say, I'm an expert. I, have to, I can figure it out on my own. You go to them. Take any other field. That's what happens. But when it comes to the Bible, everyone's an expert. I can read it and explain it. And you know something not right. Something cannot be right. Because people do not want to be taught. But that's what God did. And if you're going to grow spiritually, you can't do it on your own by reading the Bible. Unless, of course, you have the gift of teaching and have been trained. Yes. Other than that, you can do that. The thing is, teachers are needed for the growth of church and for the believers. So this being the case, one then wonders why they were listed third behind the prophets. Now the passage we're considering in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight does not tell us, but we may deduce the reason teachers were listed third among the spiritual assignments that describe the individuals or offices because of an important function of the first three spiritual assignments. Those with the first three spiritual assignments have the important function of conveying God's message to the church, as we've already noted. It is this function that enables us then to understand a reason the spiritual assignment of teachers is ranked third in the list. Because it's, their function is to teach the word of God. Now the reason we may deduce is that teachers are listed third because of how they receive the word of God that they are to communicate to the church. The way they receive it, that's the main reason they're listed third. That's what my argument is. See, we noted that the apostles and the prophets receive their messages directly from God through revelation. Directly. Now, it is true that the apostles, other than Apostle Paul, received some of their messages from the Lord Jesus while he was on this planet. But for the most part, the messages needed for the church that they wrote down were given to them by revelation. And so the apostles and prophets are those who received their messages directly from God to pass on to the church. But that is not the case with teachers. That's, to me, that's why they were listed taught. See, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul implied that the apostles and prophets received some doctrinal truths by revelation. As we read, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. So, see, what I'm saying is, apostles and prophets, first, second, and then 
taught the teachers, even though teachers are very important for the maturity of believers. So why did they taught? And I'm arguing it's because of the way of receiving the message to be passed on to the church. The first two, by revelation, they thought not so. So we read in Ephesians 3 verse 5, says, which was not made known to men, that is uh, some truth or not known, to men in the other generation, as he has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He revealed to them. Apostles and prophets. He didn't mention teachers. Apostles and prophets. So these are the ones that receive directly the revelation from God. Now teachers get the message they pass on to believers from what is already written down by those with prophetic gifts, so to speak. Now we mean that teachers are supposed to help believers understand what is already written down in the scripture. Now this truth can be traced traced to the function assigned to the priests of Israel whose primary responsibility was to teach Israel what God gave through Moses. This we can gather from Leviticus chapter 10 verse 10. Leviticus chapter 10 Actually, verses 10 through 11. That gives us how we know is this a pattern? They, something God already revealed, they now teach it. That's why they're called teachers in a way. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. It reads, You, you, that's, here, that's the priest. You must distinguish between holy and the common, between the unclean and the unclean. Look at the next thing. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. That's what the priests were to do. They were to teach. equivalent to the teachers that we have in church today, in a sense. So, since the priests were to teach what was already, already written down, that means that they would have to labor to expound what is written down. Now, expounding God's word requires that teachers study the scripture. Now, this truth was demonstrated with Ezra, the priest. That was a teacher of those Israelites who returned from the Babylonian captivity. So Ezra studied the law so he could expound it to the Israelites. As we read in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It is, 
for Ezra. That's the praise. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. And to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. Notice what it is. He devoted himself first to the study before he can teach. Now it is probably the case though, that the Holy Spirit brought to the mind of Apostle Paul the devotion of Ezra to the studying of the law when he instructed Timothy to be diligent or to work hard as it pertains to the word of God so he will be in a position of correctly expounding the word of God as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. All I'm saying is, the Holy Spirit brought Ezra, his devotion to the study of the scripture, to the mind of the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this instruction to Timothy as a pastor, the young pastor. This is what he says, he reads, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. Correctly handles the word of God. See that command, do your best to present yourself to God, is one that requires Timothy and so all pastors of local churches to make every effort to work hard to ensure that they correctly teach or expound the word of God. It requires a lot of hard work. It doesn't come easy. Now this requires then that those who teach God's word then invest time and effort digging into the scripture to ensure that they are correctly or accurately expanding the scripture. Hence, although the spiritual assignment of teaching the word of God is listed third, but it is one that requires a sustained effort in communicating the word of God. Sustained effort. See, there is a sense that we can say that all the apostles and prophets have to ensure is that they are controlled by the Holy Spirit so that God will communicate his word to them. That's all they had to do. And even then, the apostles or prophets do not know when they will receive message from God so, so, that, so that they, in a sense, do not know or do not have to do anything to prepare to communicate God's word, in a sense. All they have to be is to be sure they are being controlled by the Holy Spirit, nothing else. Because they know, I mean, before all this, we have all this written down, they don't know when God is going to give me a message to the church. Now, that changed today. 
This cannot be true though today of communicators of God's word. They are not only to ensure that they are controlled by the Holy Spirit, but they are to spend time and effort studying the scripture to decipher the message that God has for his people in the scripture. Now the teachers of God's word can be sure that because of the gifting of the Holy Spirit, they will, through hard work, come to the meaning of a particular text or come to the message the Holy Spirit intended for the church to hear from a given passage. Like I do to you, I say, this message, this is the message of this section. Now, on a personal note though, when I study, I continuously pray to the Lord to enable me to accurately expound his word. My prayer goes something like this. My prayer is always to say to the Lord that he gave his word to men who wrote them for us through the Holy Spirit. And so my request is also for him to do the same to me through the Holy Spirit to give me the understanding to be able to explain what he already given to be written down. And I can assure you you don't know how many, many times that I get short of dancing what God does. And I'll give, give you an illustration. This past week, what happened? Now, I've told you many times, uh, part of what God has used in, in my ministry is the fact that he gave me this ability for many years to read through the Bible. Please, I've read through the Bible over 50 times since I became a believer. So there are many passages that will be in my mind when I'm studying. But sometimes I don't remember where they are. When I, in my younger days, I remember them just as fast. But this past Thursday, there's a passage I'm studying, which will come to in the appropriate time, the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We'll get there at the right time when the Lord says so. And this, there's a passage, there's a concept that the Holy Spirit brought in my mind. But I needed to know where it's in the scripture. And good enough, my, the software I have that I use, very expensive software, well, if I go in there, all I need is keyword. If I know the keyword, type it in there, it will list all the passages in the, in the Bible where that, those keywords are used. So I go through them and say, oh, no, I don't see any one I was looking for. Not one of them fitting. I tried every word that I can think of. Type it in. Nothing. I mean, it will come with verses, but it won't give me to what I'm looking for. I say, I say, Father, you know I can't go further without this concept that you brought in my head. I need to get it. I need to find the place it is. And I continue, nothing seemed to happen. I got up, took a you know, bathroom break. While I was in the bathroom, the Holy Spirit put a word in my mind. I quickly got out of the bathroom and came into my Study, type in that word, and as soon as I see three verses come. And those are the three verses I'm looking for. And you can't believe, short of dancing, I mean, I was so excited. Because that's the only way that could have happened. Since I've exhausted my human, everything I know. Now, why do I tell you this? 
Just to say this. I am confident when I teach you that I'm not giving you my opinion. That's what I keep stressing that. It's not my opinion. You may not like it, but it's not my opinion. I tried that. And so, after all that, you know, I went through and finished that section in First Corinthians. Anyway, be that as you may, though, there are a few observations that we need to make regarding the spiritual assignment of teachers. There are a few observations. First, the spiritual assignment of teachers is that which God uniquely gives to men. Notice what I say, to men in the church of Christ. It should be distinguished from the general teaching that is required of believers in relation to each other. For example, believers are expected to teach others by way of encouragement through scripture, as they themselves have been taught by their pastors. Now this is implied in the instruction of Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. He reads, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That's every believer. No pastor, every believer. Then as, and they say, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Thus, there is then a sense that each believer could teach a fellow believer, but that is not this, the teaching associated with the spiritual assignment of teaching. The different thing. Moreover, it is not the same as the specialized teaching that older women should carry out in relation to younger women, as we read in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Now I'm saying, this teaching we're talking about is not the same as a specialized teaching. Older women who are believers should carry out with the younger women who are believers. It is. Say likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live and not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So, here is a special instruction to women, believing women in a church. You say, but to teach what is good. That's what the pastor was supposed to do, expound to them so that they can do that. Does that mean that they're going to be pastors? No. Now, see the verbal phrase to teach what is good is the way the translators of the NIV translated a rare Greek word that appears only once in the Greek New Testament, what we call hapax, the government name. 
appears only once. But not found really outside the New Testament. And it means teacher of what is good. The Greek word kalodides kalos means teacher of what is good. An example of what it means then for older women to be teachers of what is good is described as training of younger women to love their husbands and their children as we read in Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. It is then after they've been taught, he said, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Hmm. Think about it. I haven't known anyone in this country. I can tell that part of the world. Yes, I know. But in this country, I haven't known anyone who said, we got married without any love. I mean, we're in love, right? We got married. Huh. But look at what this message says. Teach younger women to love their husband. Really? You knew what love is. Why is somebody going to teach you that? Think about it. Because you were in love, right? When you got married. He said, no, you didn't know what it was. You have to be taught that. He says, to be self-control and to be self-control and pure and to be busy at home, to be kind and to be Subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, one of those things, like I tell you, people who are online, who listen online, they come up with all kinds of things when they talk to me, some of them. And this particular person said, Oh, I listened to this. He said, Do women in your church do that? <laughs> I said, Well, I don't know. All I know is I've taught them that. That that's their responsibility. Whether they do it, I don't know. I have no idea. But then I said, here's the other part of it. We're living in a society where people are so arrogant, full of themselves, that sometimes these things become very difficult to do. What does that mean? It means this. A young lady got married, and the older Christian is trying to explain to her, and she said, what are you telling me? I know what to do. Don't need to tell me. I know what it means to love my husband. What are you talking about? And in that way, don't know if you heard that women do that or not. Because of this arrogance thing. That keeps people from listening. You think you know it all. What is there to tell me? Yet the Bible says you need to be taught how to love your husband and children. I mean, if you can do it on your own, if the Holy Spirit doesn't know what he's talking about. But my thing is, younger people, if you're a younger person, married, when you listen to those who are older, in the Lord, it's not a matter of really age. It's a matter of their age in the Lord. In other words, they may be you know, married, uh, maybe even some age, but if they have been more, more, uh, more married, 
in terms of years than you and have a more mature spiritual, listen to the advice. Listen. That's what this passage is all about. Don't think you know it all yet. Maybe by the day you uh, learn all these things, it becomes your turn to do that to the next believer. So anyway, the spiritual assignment of teachers is that which God uniquely gives to men in the church of Christ. That should not be distinguished, that should be distinguished from the general teaching that required that is required of all believers in relationship to each other. Under no circumstance, as we argue a little bit sometimes, under no circumstance should a woman be a pastor. Under no circumstance. None. Now, does it mean it doesn't happen? Yeah, it happens. Because people in this country and many parts of the world today, they are rebelling against the Bible. They hear, yeah, I read it, but they will go ahead and do something else. They read it, oh yeah, I know. That's what he says. But you still do something else. That's rebellion, in my judgment. Anyway. So that's the first thing that we need to do to recognize the teaching we're talking about here is not the general specific ones or many general teaching that you can do, everybody that can do. Second, the spiritual assignment of teachers is not the same as being pastors. Now we need to be sure about this one. Spiritual assignment of teachers is not the same as being pastors. Now a person may be a teacher as a part of the spiritual leadership of a local church and not be a pastor. That's important for us to understand that. Now we say that a teacher may be a part of the spiritual leadership of a local church because it appears that uh, the spiritual leaders of the church in Antioch consisted of prophets and teachers, as we may deduce from the passage we cited previously, and I'm not going to cite it again, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In fact, I'm not going to read it. That's what I mean. Now, the mention of prophets and teachers in, in that verse implies that they were part of, or they were part of the spiritual leadership of the church in Antioch. Hence then, it is possible that a person may be a teacher as part of the spiritual leadership of a local church and not be a pastor. Of course, there are those who uh, contend that this is unlikely because of the way they interpret it or they interpret the joint mention of pastors and teachers in the list of offices of the church the Holy Spirit gave through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 reads, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now there is a problem of how to interpret the phrase pastors and teachers, whether it refers to one office holder or two. Now we have dealt with this problem of interpretation of this phrase in our 
studies of Ephesians. So if you are interested in learning the details, I recommend you to the Berean Bible Church website, Berean Bible Church at the Base Print. Their website, our website, and look at Ephesians study, listen to lessons 123 and 124. Nonetheless, it is our interpretation that the phrase should be understood to mean that pastors belong to a larger group known as teachers. The implication is that a person cannot be a pastor without being a teacher. But not every teacher is a pastor. Now, that a pastor must be a teacher is clearly uh, specified in the requirement of overseers of local church that the Holy Spirit gave in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. It reads, now the, over, now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now pastors, as shepherds of local churches, are similar in their function to that of the apostles, in a limited sense, in that their function is confined to a local church. And so they will have more than one spiritual gift for them to shepherd their various congregations. So the point is that the spiritual assignment of teachers is not the same as being pastors. Third, teaching as a spiritual assignment carries with it authority from the Lord. Now we previously stated that pastors are part of those who have the spiritual assignment as teachers. However, we know that pastors have the authority given to them by the Lord. This fact is conveyed in the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to Titus as a pastor at Crete in Titus chapter 2 verse 15. Titus, chapter 2, verse 15. Titus, chapter 2, verse 15, reads, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with, look at that phrase, all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. The pastors have God-given authority to carry their function. Now it is because Spiritual assignment of teachers involve authority that we contain that the assignment is given only to some, some male believers. Not all male believers, some male believers. You see, the reason a woman was not supposed to teach, and therefore be a pastor, uh, in a spiritual sense, is because of this issue of authority, as Apostle Paul states, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 reads, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. So anyway, 
We should understand that the third spiritual assignment then of teachers is important to the church at the present time. And it carries divine authority. We have to be careful though to recognize that it is not an easy matter to be a teacher of God's word. It's probably for this reason that the Holy Spirit warns believers against wanting to be teachers. According to James chapter 3 verse 1. James chapter 3 verse 1. James chapter 3 verse 1. It reads, Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Here's the reason, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's the reason. Because those who teach are to be held at a higher standard. Than those they teach. So that is a third assignment. We still uh, have to do. With a few more of this. The passage we are studying. But we will come to the close of our study this morning. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning. There may be someone here. Or somebody listening over the internet. Here is the truth. If you die now. You wind up in the lake of fire. In hell. Where you born in a sense forever. But here's God's love for you. The fact that you're hearing what I'm about to say shows God demonstrating his love to you. He demonstrated that love when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who left all the glories of heaven to come to die for you. He came, preached, taught, did miracles all to prove that he is the son of God. After he finished all this, he made a claim. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He also made a claim, I am the life and resurrection. If you believe in me, you will live even though you die. To back that up, they came and arrested him. Took him tortured him in the praetorium. He was so beaten so badly that if you knew him when he went there and when he came out he was so disfigured you couldn't recognize him. That's the kind of torture that the son of God endured. He didn't complain. He didn't cry. And they made him to Golgotha. Put him on the cross on the ground and nailed him. Can you imagine they were driving those nails one by one, through him. Look at the pain he was under. He didn't say a word. They took that, sunk that cross on the ground, putting more pressure, tearing some things in his body. He still didn't shout or cry. But the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being judged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable that he let out that awful cry. Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. He was forsaken that you may spend eternity with God. Now how? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you'll be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, this are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, a Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His name. You see, it doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter how you have sinned. It doesn't matter how you have failed. If you come to this acceptance that you're a sinner, by choice, by action, everything about you, that you're a sinner. If you come to that realization, and realize there's nothing you can do to change that position, except throw yourself at the mercy of God. And God has certainly shown you mercy, because he has paid for your sins through his son Jesus Christ. So if you believe that Christ came and died for your sin and rose again the third day, no matter how sinful you have been, your sins will be completely forgiven and you have a clean slate and therefore qualified to be with God forever. So trust in Him. But if you so refuse or if you defy it, my friend, I warn you, you have your one foot almost at the lake of fire. So wake up and trust in His Son Jesus Christ and you will escape God's coming judgment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to cause us to recognize the various assignments that you have made to the church for the spiritual maturity of believers. This is a request in Christ's name.